Welcome to Prima's 2021 podcast series. My name is Shonda Ragland. I am the Director of Education at Prima. On this Prima podcast, Chris Mandel will discuss environmental, social, and governance and risk management. Chris is the President and Managing Consultant at Excellence in Risk Management, LLC. We will also be joined by Prima's Education Coordinator, Taquan Gilbert. Taquan will moderate the discussion. Enjoy the podcast. What is environmental, social, and governance, or ESG? Interesting question because it's getting an awful lot of attention in the last year or two. Um, And it kind of came out of the blue, to be honest with you. So its origins really are out of what I think of as the United Nations Sustainable Development Initiatives that have been around for quite a long time. Some people refer to them as Agenda 2020, 2030. It's kind of morphed as it's evolved over time. But, you know, sustainable development is really all about an attempt to try and, uh, as they would say, you know, maintain the degradation of the earth and all of its different component parts, society and all of its elements, spheres of society, but particularly the natural environment. And so, for example, you know, we think about Will we have enough oil? How long will the oil last? Do we need to shift from fossil fuels to other sources of energy because of limitations on the availability of oil, which is, you know, there's no real consensus about. Some say there's only, you know, X number of years of oil in the ground. Others say that it's it's unknown as to how much oil still needs or could be extracted. So, but as you may know, I mean, there's been a heavy push for decades on this other hairy beast called climate change right, where many scientists have tried to the planet is warming and that we need to do something about it because sea levels were rising, making all other all kinds of other potential havoc the world. And a lot of what goes wrong in natural environment, you know, gets tagged with, you know, what they would claim to be what the human populations of the earth are, are doing to our, to our environment in particular. So ESG has emerged in the organizational world, corporate world in particular, where that same movement, if you will, which is kind of a globalist movement, is using environmental, social, and governance-related initiatives under this ESG banner to try and drive the behavior of organizations, corporations, and others. Pretty much nobody's exempt in some sense, as well as other spheres of society, because we all consume, for example, energy. We all litter the planet. We all do this and that. So the ESG construct is really an extension of the sustainable development strategies of the United Nations, where companies and organizations are being increasingly expected to be all over and have plans for, for example, how their operations affects the planet, all right, under the E, the environmental aspect of it. And I would tell you that in my opinion, you know, the environmental piece, perhaps the whole thing, but for sure the environmental piece is in some sense driven by the uh, climate change allegations. And I'll call them that because I think there's lots of debate about what really is going on and, you know, what's really causing it. But we won't go down that road at the moment. The social piece of it is another thing we've been seeing a lot of in the last couple of years, last year in particular, with the social unrest that was seen in the United States and elsewhere. So social justice 
might be a more comprehensive phrase for the social piece. So you get an idea that whether it's racism or sexism or some other ism, you know, that kind of falls under the S portion of the ESG. And then governance is, as you may know, really how organizations operate and how the work gets done within organizations and how they're supervised. I think it includes all three of those elements. So, you know, depending on what type of an organization you are, you're subject to different governance rules and expectations. But And they run the gamut, right? Because organizations run the gamut of organizational types. You have, you know, command and control, you have decentralized, you've got centralized, and you've got everything in between. So as a risk professional, just hypothetically speaking, why should I care about ESG? I'm glad you asked. Because there's a heck of a lot of confusion, I think, amongst risk professionals. Because on the one hand, you've got, for example, a major asset management company like BlackRock out there basically demanding that all their portfolio companies have an ESG strategy and plan. And so, you know, everyone's hair's on fire in trying to respond to these dictates. And, you know, those, as I say, are being extended into other, you know, organizations everywhere. And I think public sector is not exempt from this because the same kind of trends and pressures are affecting the public sector world, just like they are, you know, public companies, just like they are nonprofits, NGOs, and the like. So, you know, I like to think that if ESG is just really maybe three categories of risk, I'll posit that as as a, uh, a premise. We can debate it, but we won't. I'm just going to tell you that in my view, in some sense, there are risk categories, right? Environmental risks, social risks, governance risks, be more explicit about it. So the question then becomes, if you're practicing comprehensive risk management, whether you call it comprehensive or integrated or enterprise or whatever you call it, then the natural question is, well, how does ESG, you know, relate to how you manage risk? And I think there's a lot of confusion about even what I just said about those being risk categories that need to be wrapped into a risk management strategy. So what ends up happening, and as you see, if you follow what's going on trend-wise in this ESG world, more and more people are raising their hand and being assigned responsibility for ESG strategy and plans that are not a part of the risk function and may, in fact, not be risk professionals at all. Oftentimes within the legal department, general counsel sometimes is the one who leads the fray. Other times it's a compliance leader or in a public company, it might be even the head of investor relations because This is very often in that world an investor issue that lots of questions get generated by. So long and short of it is, you know, it relates to risk. And I think every risk professional, even if they haven't been asked, needs to raise their hand and say, you know, I need a seat at that table, even if I'm not the designated point of accountability for making sure that we do whatever we're going to do with respect to ESG. And then it goes from there. And it's organization to organization as to, number one, whether the risk professionals engage and how they're engaged, or whether it's already been given and assigned to somebody else, then the question becomes, will that someone else engage the risk professional appropriately so that to the extent that information flows out of the management of environmental, social, and governance-related issues and risks, they make their way into the risk profile of organizations appropriately. So how does ESG relate to enterprise risk management? So this is an extension of what I was just talking about because enterprise risk management, you know, for the benefit of listeners, 
you know, is just the more advanced, comprehensive version of the risk management discipline that gets us beyond insurable hazard risks into a few key things. One is all risks, right? All risks of the organization are part of the ERM purview. So there you have it. If ESG are, in a sense, risks of some type or another, then they should be part of an all-risk perspective that would normally be born out of an enterprise risk management strategy. ERM also is about, you know, both the construct of what a risk can do to, you know, destroy value, as well as the flip side. So I've mentioned in other interviews, you know, the upside of risk, where you ask questions about how do we take more or new risk in order to create value. Well, ESG initiatives have the opportunity to create value and not just destroy value. So it's relevant there as well. And then ERM engages risk stakeholders across and outside the organization. And I think one thing that's clear about ESG, it's tending to touch stakeholders across a wide spectrum of functions, activity, both inside and outside organizations. So I think, you know, we could go into some other elements of ERM, including culture, right? This risk culture is a very central aspect of managing risk holistically and progressively under whatever banner you want to give it, let's just say it's ERM. And, you know, ESG has implications for risk culture, as well as just overall organizational culture. So, you know, for those four reasons alone, and there's many others, I think, you know, that's in part how ESG is or should relate to ERM. Where's ESG headed and how can risk leaders get engaged in related matters? Well, so I mentioned the BlackRock mandate, okay? That's really probably only relevant to public companies. But again, I suggest that it's spreading rapidly. And so if you haven't seen it in the public sector arena, you will. I would argue if you go to your city planner function and ask, you know, how the city plan over time relates to sustainable development elements that came out of the United Nations, from Agenda 2020 and Agenda 2030, you'll find the connectivity that I'm inferring there. So if you haven't seen it, you're going to see it, I guess is the bottom line. And so recognize that at the board level, at the senior management and executive level, these are getting on their radar. And while they might not always be part of their priorities, I believe over time they will become part of their priorities. And they're even showing up in private companies and in franchise systems. So I think this will touch every aspect of organizations everywhere at some point. It's just a question of how fast it's going to move. And so as a result, I think the best thing risk leaders can do besides find that person who might have been assigned accountability for this, if there is one, and get a seat at the table where the planning around this is taking place. And if no one has been assigned, then um, go to your senior executives or management and find out if, in fact, this isn't a task that uh, you should you know, offer to put some flesh on the bones of so that uh, your senior management and particularly your your governance structure, however that looks, doesn't get caught up short when, you know, for example, citizens come knocking and, and asking questions that relate to this. Management hates surprises, right? So um, if we operate on that basis, we can uh, we can figure out then how we should respond, you know, in addition to what I've already said. Who are the key stakeholders in the ESG space? So I've mentioned some of them, you know, and I think in in some cases it is the chief risk officer or the uh, senior risk leader. In other cases, it's the head of investor relations in a public company. And again, I I mentioned legal compliance. There may be some other uh, C-level person in the C-suite who's been assigned. And 
yet those are just the tip of the iceberg. So if you think about how broad it can touch organizations, when you just think about and peel the onion back on each of those three things, environmental, social, and governance, then you recognize that there's an awful lot of leaders, perhaps all leaders, all managers, you know, have some dog in this hunt. And in that regard, kind of like risk management itself, you know, there's a need for some fundamental understanding and knowledge across the spectrum of really everybody that owns risks and everybody that owns controls. And so that's not even just limited to managers and supervisors and above, right? So, you know, it's not a burning platform for anybody, but maybe the highest level leaders right now. But I think ultimately that'll cascade down through organizations to become some concern for just about everybody at some point if it continues to expand the way it appears to be and the trends continue with respect to how the world's responding to, you know, this whole, all these arguments behind sustainable development and, and, and what's driving the need for that. So I would say take the time to sit down and chart out who the stakeholders are just as a beginning exercise to figure out, you know, what role, you know, you as a risk leader or a risk professional can play in this realm. And then uh, take it from there with discussions up the food chain as to what your bosses and bosses' bosses want done and by whom, when, and how. Because obviously at some point there'll be implications for resource allocation and, you know, whether or not you'll have what you'll need to, to do anything significant other than just say, you know, we looked at it and there's nothing to do about it because there's no resources or there's no plan or there's no strategy. So for most organizations, I think it's a pretty big whiteboard. And that can spell both opportunity for risk leaders on the on the positive side of the equation, but also detriment for risk leaders who, you know, get lost in the shuffle or, you know, don't raise their hands when they should. When either way or any way you look at it, I think risk professionals have a role to play and need a seat at the table when it comes to this aspect of organizational life. We have reached the end of our podcast. Thanks to our speaker and all of our listeners. Please visit the Prima website to hear other Prima podcasts, view upcoming Prima webinars, read Prima blogs, and learn about other Prima educational resources. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and our very own Prima Talk. Have an amazing day.